We're incredibly excited to welcome renowned teacher, writer, and educational expert, Dr. Carol Ann Tomlinson, to Ed's Not Dead. Dr. Tomlinson has had a tremendous influence all across the nation on how teachers design and implement instruction to meet the needs of learners in heterogeneous classroom environments. Welcome to Ed's Not Dead, Dr. Tomlinson. I am delighted to be with you. There's nothing that's better for me for an evening than spending some time with middle school folks, because (laughs) when you have done that for a while... You're sort of um, unique, if not loony, yeah. and um, so to find find somebody in my tribe is a great thing. Yeah, we, we are we are we are definitely in your tribe. Thank you. It's a, the pleasure's all ours. So thanks for coming on the show. I'm going to start kind of big, big picture, thirty thousand feet. Um, what inspired your work revolving around process, product, and content? Are you really asking me how did I get into differentiation? <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, yes. That's the question. I'm still learning how to be an interviewer. So th- <laughs> thank you, Dr. Thomas. So the short version of that is that my first two years of teaching, the first one was in high school, the second one I regressed nicely and was in a preschool. Oh. Um, I certainly noticed student differences, but it never occurred to me that I should do anything about them. And in my third year of teaching about the Oh, fourth or fifth day, a little kid came up to me in the hall during the class change and whispered something. I'd never seen him. Had his hand over his mouth. I couldn't hear him, but I knew what he wanted was help with his locker because that's what everybody wanted the first week or so of school. (laughs) And um, I asked him to pull his hand down so I could hear him and talk louder. And he did talk a teeny bit louder, but he put his hand right back over his mouth. And on the third try, I suggested that maybe I'd keep his hand down and get close to him so I could hear a little bit better. And what he was saying to me was, I can't read. He was 15. He was getting ready to come into my seventh grade class with the 12-year-olds for the first time that day. And all of a sudden, I had a sliding on ice moment where I had 3,000 questions just really quickly. How did he get here? Why Why is he here at 15 and doesn't know the alphabet? Not material can't help it. He's mine. Got to do better than that. Right. Then I thought, well, how do you teach reading? I had no clue. And what materials do I use? I had nothing in there that seemed to me was going to be right for him. And where do I put him in the classroom? And do I talk to the kids about it? And how do I find time for him? And how do I help him feel like he belongs in a class full of 12-year-olds and has a contribution to make? Sure. As we walked to the classroom, my last thought was the one that has stayed with me forever. And that was, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't let him down. It was a huge act of faith and trust that he said what he said to me. And I couldn't let it go. His name was Golden and Golden is how I got into differentiation. Wow. Wow. Thank you. That's powerful. Yeah. So to follow up on that and, you know, how do you maintain those high expectations and challenge every student in the classroom when when you do have somebody like Golden who is, you know, has intensive academic needs, you know, how do you even go about doing that? Well, I didn't have a clue when I met Golden, but <laughs> what I'd say to you now is two things. One is the messages, both spoken and silent, that I relay to kids about themselves but about each other as well. 
And one of them is to really believe that these kids are all icebergs with most of their capacity buried beyond our view, especially in middle school. Yeah. And that there's so much more that can come out. I think that sense of a real trust in the capacity of kids is important for us to develop as teachers and then to communicate it without fail so that everybody in the class has the sense that that's what the expectation is. My mantra to the kids always was, what's your next step? Your job today is to take your next step, not his or hers, but yours. So what's your next step and where do we go from here? And that made it um, an expectation for them that they all had to do that, whatever it was. But in a more curricular-oriented way, I think one of the most powerful things we can do, and it's very, very challenging now, is to come to understand that we need to teach by big ideas. And all kids, even those with really severe learning issues, grasp those because they're rooted in life. And if we teach by ideas and can make connections with lives when we're teaching with the whole class, that sets everybody up to study stuff that's worthwhile. And then when we do breakouts so we can work with individuals in small groups, at that point we can focus on the skills that the kids need as individuals or in small groups. But when they come back together, they're using those skills to act on the big ideas. And so the quality of the class discussion and the illustrations we use and that kind of thing have great power to them. And really, virtually every kid can wrap around those, and that's what really raises the expectation, moving away from just the game of learning being to memorize and give back to the game of learning becoming trying to understand the world around you and your place in it. And when you're talking about big ideas, are you kind of are you referring to what like the essential understandings in a curriculum, like using those to I guess what that would would lend itself more to the strategy section of the of the episode, but I just brief in terms of does that, are you talking about those kind of things? Yep, I am. Okay, it's what Jay McTie would call a big idea. Lynn Erickson would call it a a principle or um, an understanding. Oh, okay, um, but it really is the the truths that are behind this concept in science, or the truths that make history. Um, valuable over time. History isn't much good if all it is is the memorization of dead people. <laughs> but when it helps us understand how societies are fu- functioning and our right. role in them, where they go bad, and how you get out of the muck when they go bad, uh, that's something that is really transferable, eternal, um, and central in everybody's life. And it also requires thinking, and it allows ahas, and it gives people different ways to approach it in different examples to use and that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's, and besides that, um, uh, experts in the discipline um, have their thinking organized by big ideas. They're not all that great at remembering 600 words (laughs) they learned in middle school, but they got those big ideas down pat, and that's that's the best way we can teach, and it raises the ante for everybody. And I, well, I actually, I think Robbie remembers all of his vocabulary terms from from middle school, probably. <laughs> I do. You probably Good do. Good for him. Good <laughs> yeah, for right. Robbie. He, he, he's the only one. Um, so the, we a couple of weeks ago we interviewed Rick Wormley, and um, I know that uh, you've collaborated with him a little bit in terms of. Um, I, I don't want to say I should. I don't want to say it, sticking it to Mike Schmoker. Um, but he, he had a quote from our interview that I'm paraphrasing here. He talked about differentiating, or I should say standard-based grading, being 90% beliefs and 10% strategies and work. How do we, 
what are your ideas and thoughts on how we improve the belief systems of teachers? Because that seems like a, a, a major rock to move and when you're trying to, to improve the instruction. Yeah, so I, I agree with what Rick said, but I'm going to add another thought to it that has become clear to me over the years. Um, it's not nearly as hard to differentiate instruction as it is to give up your old habits of teaching. Yes, good and point. So those are the two things, is your, your way of looking at kids and then your way of looking at the classroom and what your role as a teacher is. And both of those things are huge walls in front of us. When you look at the point Rick made about 90% of the change being a change of mind, experts who study change tell us that people can change in one of two ways. You can either believe your way into acting or act your way into believing. Hmm. And they suggest to us that for most people, certainly not everybody, nothing applies to everybody, but for most people, it works better to try to act your way in, into believing right. than it does to wait until you've changed your beliefs and then hope your actions will follow. So getting teachers to agree with each other to try something, right. um, to support them in knowing what some possibilities are, to assure them that you'd rather see a last lesson that's lousy where at least they tried something <laughs> than to continue to do the same things. And almost always when you do something that's the right kind of thing to do, you suddenly see some kids come awake that you haven't seen before. And we teachers like that really, really well. When we see something that works for a kid, we're all ready to sign up and try again usually. And so I think helping teachers take a step and then take another step and then take another little step and keep looking around and seeing what they're seeing. And when you see some kids that you didn't think could do stuff, suddenly do it. And when you start giving kids work that's in their ballpark and they quit refusing to do it, right. that's pretty good stuff for a teacher. And it, it really can help us over time remold our eyes in terms of how we see and think about kids. All right. So this is the part of the interview where I have to hit you with something negative that someone has written about differentiation. And I think, Dr. Tomlinson, you'll remember an article in Ed Week by James Delisle. About, does that Does that ring a bell? <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is a quote from Mr. Delisle. It seems to me that the only educators who assert that differentiation is doable are those who have never tried to implement it themselves. University professors, curriculum coordinators, and school principals. That would be me. Um, it's the in-the-trenches educators who know the stark reality. Differentiation is a cheap way out for school districts to pay lip service to those who demand that each child be educated to his or her fullest potential. Your response to that from Mr. Delisle? Um, well, I responded to Mr. Delisle in print, so if you'd like, you could go look up the uh, Yeah, no, I, 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 I read that, but, <laughs> yes. now I, but now I have you on the phone, so. Yeah, happy for you to do that. Well, you know, <laughs> right where I get off with him on that is that first notion of the fact that people who think it works are the ones who've never tried it. Um, my colleagues and I invented what I think of as differentiation now. There wasn't a word for it. We didn't know anybody else doing it. We just simply had a need, and we stuck with it, and we stuck with it literally over a period of 20 years. Right. And over those 20 years, we threw out 100 ideas and adopted another 100. Um, we looked at things we thought were working well and said, nope, it's really not working that well, so how do we come at it a different way? And so right there off the bat, he loses me on the first one because not only did I differentiate in public school for 20 years, right. but I did it in the company of colleagues 
who similarly just kept at it until we got something. And now, since I have left public school, it would be easy to say that I left the ideas behind. But not only do I teach differentiation at the university, but I model it in my classes. So yeah, I don't yeah. think quite the one to say that um, I've never tried it, and it's just a theory. It was a practice for 20 years before it was a theory. All right, good. Now I have I have you on record on Ed's Not Dead. That's all I needed to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Dr. Tomlinson, it has been a true pleasure to have you on the show, right, fellas? Yes, thank you. Uh, we were all we're all kind of starry eyed by having you on Ed's Not Dead. Um, so hopefully we're we're going to get you on the show again. Thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon, Dr. Tomlinson. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>